Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Be a Global Citizen. My name is Scott. Today, I'm very excited to introduce another VCE graduate, Alex, and he's going to share with us some of his views about global citizenship. So, welcome to the podcast, Alex. My name is Alex Monroe. I want to thanks first of all, thanks Scott so much for allowing me to be on the podcast. I've been loving what you've been doing and really looking forward to the future episodes to come. Uh, but yeah, I'm about, my name is Alex, like I said, my name is Alex Monroe. I'm from Washington, DC originally, uh, the DMV area. Um, my family actually originated from Grenada, which is in the Caribbean in the West Indies. And then my parents eventually moved to uh, England and then the uh, United States where they had my sister and I. So uh, very proud of that lineage and that history. Um, and yeah, so that's a little bit about who I am and a little background and then, um, yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. It's wonderful to have you here on the podcast. And you are the third graduate from the VCE program to do this this interview, this this conversation about global citizenship. So. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful conversation and it's going to be such a great opportunity for those listening to also, um, you know, get to know more about your own educational background, your own insights about global citizenship and also what you're doing uh, in in terms of your own work. Where are you at in this moment, the pandemic? Uh, So the the first question that I wanted to to ask you um, is to maybe get a little bit more information about your own background in education. So you can you can start from the very beginning if you'd like, take us for a journey, a timeline of kind of where you've been and what you've done and what you're doing. Yeah, no worries, sounds good. Um, so I'll start back in high school. I think that's probably for me the best place to begin. Um, my journey in education, you know, it really, the reason why I say high school is the, is the starting point is because that's when I really understood the power of education and that, you know, I was an average student. I took school somewhat seriously only when I wanted to. I always knew I was more than capable. It was just, I never was a self-starter sometimes. I was never able to really kind of get going on my own. Um, and my parents were always supportive of me and encouraging me, but I was like, hey, I already know what I'm doing. I don't need an A to validate my intelligence, right? But um, so that, you know, wasn't the best mindset to have, but it, it was it was the situation. And I'm thankful for that because now I can obviously relate to so many youth who I work with um, when they're struggling. And I'm like, hey, you know, don't worry. Like I was in that same situation. I didn't really know how to get going when it came to education. I knew I was capable, but I wasn't quite ready to, you know, take education as my own and really own that, that that sense of purpose when it comes to your academics. So from there, I um, started my university journey, really, um, because I actually had attended attended three different colleges and universities. I went to Campbell University in North Carolina, and um, I, should, I should add that I played college football. So I played football in high school, was fortunate enough to get recognized um, and given, you know, a scholarship to uh, Campbell University, where then I was, um, I played football, I played quarterback. And from there, I went to Dodge City, Kansas, a community college. Things didn't work out at Campbell. So then I went, went to Dodge City, Kansas, played football there at community college. 
still was kind of this, you know, I don't want I wasn't definitely wasn't lazy, but I was just very just what can I do to get by? Right. What what's like the minimal minimal effort I need to get by in my studies and my academics. And then in um, 2012, 2011, I transferred to my last school because of football yet again um, to St. Augustine's University uh, and HBCU in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I graduated and received my bachelor's degree. But it was actually in that third university at St. Augustine's University um, where I really, really said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to show what I can do right as far as academically and that's when i decided to, to to really take the reins of my own education and and see how far i could go i really challenged myself and it was a great experience for me it opened up so many doors so many opportunities because i was able to say you know um yeah i can do this and i can do it among some of the best you know and brightest students in the area um i, I say to say to this day north carolina i feel is the best state to go to university, there's just so many great universities around. Um, you have University of North Carolina, NC State, you have Duke, and not to mention the historically black uh, colleges and universities, which was one that I attended and the others, um, like Winston-Salem State, Shaw University, all the great ones there. So from there, I then went to law school. I went to DePaul um, University College of Law in Chicago. And I really felt that with my football background and acumen, I would be able to work with athletes and helping them create nonprofit organizations centered around academics. And about a year and a half into my law school journey, I said, you know what, this is really isn't for me. And I was in this weird space. I was in between space. I didn't know what quite to do. I was 24 going on 25 and it was, it was weird because, you know, like I said, I, was, I told everyone I was going to be this lawyer, all these expectations. And then I was like, you know what, let's let's find something else. And then from there, I actually was able to work at a summer camp working with kids. And I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved the joy of the kids they brought every day. Um, and I worked with a range of, of, of youth at the camp. So it wasn't just, you know, older kids. It was kids that were five, six, seven, all the way up to like 13, 14 years old. And it just so happened that the school where the camp was held had an opening for a special education assistant. And they asked me if I would be interested. And I said, sure, why not? And so from that interview, I was granted the position. And then um, that was my initiation into education from there in 2016. And so I was in the special education department. And really, I walked in there after about two weeks and said, this is it. This is my passion. Like, I love coming here. I love working with the kids. I love working with the youth. And I just enjoyed every minute of it. And my first year, I primarily worked with first graders. Um, I bounced around different grades, but but the but the majority of my time was spent in first grade. And so from there, I spent two years at this school on the north side of Chicago. And then my wife and I decided to look abroad uh, for a new experience. And so after we got married, we moved to Bangkok, Thailand, where we spent two and a half years in Bangkok, Thailand. Um, I taught at a school just outside the city center of Bangkok. And then my last school I worked at in Bangkok was downtown heart of Bangkok. Um, another great experience. And so that leads me up to today, right now. Um, here we are in April. Um, and I'm actually looking for work. I'm actually looking for a new position at a new school. There's some opportunities out there, but uh, nothing's been finalized as yet. So, fingers crossed that we can uh, we can celebrate a new job here in the next few months. Wow! Thank you so much. And 
it's just so refreshing to hear your your background and from from high school all the way up until now i mean it it, it feels like um you know you've definitely taken a few different turns right but ultimately that aha moment for you when you were at that special education camp i mean that's something i would say few people experience right to, to have that strong realization and then yeah. to act on it and um and yeah and, what better career than education in, in times like these where we are in desperate need of um, capable leaders, desperate need of global citizens, right? And I think it's, yeah, right? and I think it's just amazing too, like, you know, from that realization, having then ex experienced um, work with special ed uh, for a couple of years, right, two, three years, um, what, what was it about Bangkok. I mean, wanting to travel internationally um, with together with your wife, like, was it something that just, I don't know, was it something that you had proposed? Like, you were like, yeah, this would be a great idea. You'd been thinking about it. Or um, how, did, how did that decision come about? I'm curious. Yeah, so it was it was really interesting. So what happened was, I think we got married in May of 2018. And I want to say it's probably October of the year before, so October or September 2017, we said, hey, you know what? You know, we don't have any kids. We're both in our 20s still. If the opportunity presents itself where we can live abroad, let's go ahead and do it. And so we actually narrowed down our choices to uh, the Netherlands, um, Singapore, and there was one other location. I can't quite remember where we were thinking, but um, these were our kind of our options, right? And so from there, um, things just kind of uh, kind of took off and we you know we continued to, to, to look for opportunities and I say they took off because what happened was when we put out that intention to move abroad, you know um, different conversations took place amongst our, 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 our circle of friends and it led to us actually connecting with a mutual friend who was a principal at my eventual school in Bangkok. And so little did we know that we had met this person, the summer prior at a baseball game here in Chicago. So here it is, we met this person over a year ago, and then now I'm talking to them, you know, asking them about a potential opportunity to work at the school in Bangkok. And so it was, um, so we both, my wife and I, we both said, hey, you know, this looks like a good opportunity. And, you know, if the school comes through with an offer, let's go ahead and, and, and really consider it. And so that's eventually what happened. Spoke to the school, it was a great conversation, really enjoyed it. They, they sent me an offer about you know a week later. My wife and I looked it over and we said, hey, let's go for it. And I think for both of us, um, you know, me being a, a traveler beforehand and you know having been abroad uh, quite a bit um, before meeting my wife and my wife having some experience traveling abroad too, we were both open to it and we were both just kind of, like I said, just ready to see what else was out there and to see what, what opportunities you know were available and what could what we could learn about ourselves in the process as well. I think that's the most important thing, really, when you think about it. And um, just not be confined to staying at home and, and, and being opposed to seeing what else the world has to offer. So that was pretty much uh, the emphasis for us to, to move abroad. Wow, thank you so much for, for sharing. And I, I feel a decision like that is not one that's taken lightly, right? It, it, it's something that, you know, not just your friends, but also with your family, right? Dislocating oneself, going to a, a foreign, unfamiliar place. Uh, these are things that 
can cause some anxiety, not only between you and your wife, but for, for others. And um, yeah, and questions about like, well, why are you doing it? Like, are you sure, right? But then it comes down to your own convictions of, no, this is something that we've agreed upon that we, we find will be best to open up new doors or have new experiences, right? Um, and it's something that I can deeply resonate with as well. Something that, you know, I'm, I'm in, uh, I just turned 28. <laughs> My partner yeah. is, uh, is 27, so we also have a similar mindset. Um, and, you know, and I, I just find it incredible, the, the serendipity, right, from which you, know, you had found out about this job in Bangkok through, uh, this this principal at a baseball game and you know just how things then transpired and you had this experience there and now, now you're you're at a, a new crossroads wanting to see the next step but that's um, I just feel like there's something about how how much bigger the world is it's much bigger than what we imagine it is and this is coming from you know uh, I'm, I'm originally from California and I don't know if you've you know spent a lot of time with with Californians uh, or have been there, but yeah. there's always this this underlying assumption that California is the best place. Like, why would <laughs> you ever leave, right? Yeah. And the the world outside does not exist. Basically, it's yeah. just you know, <laughs> just a uh, Southern Cal, like SoCal, Southern California, or like NorCal, yeah. and that's it. Um, so yeah, I feel like not just for California, but even within you know the, the united states there's always that sense yeah. of like really i mean but we're the best right yeah. Yeah. um so yeah I, I just find it very courageous of you you both and also very telling of your your world view i think and how you were willing to make that decision right yeah i think i think also that you know you're you're hitting on a point there scott when um you know in my after my first year of being in bangkok and living there because you know prior to traveling to thailand i've never been to southeast asia ever and i've been to europe a few times i've been to the caribbean um i've been to canada you know and other parts of of, of of europe so you know my passport had had some stamps on it and i was pretty proud of that you know before going to, to to bangkok but what i saw in bangkok quickly was um definitely this american Northern Hemisphere or Australia, New Zealand, kind of exceptionalism. And, you know, we'll focus on Americans since we're both American. And, you know, this American exceptionalism, um, it definitely uh, ex exposed the the faults in our our thinking and how, as you said, like, you know, with, with SoCal or Californians or even New Yorkers too. My sister, she was living in New York for quite some time. And same thing, like, Nothing exists outside of New York City, you know? Um, they're not even sure, some people aren't even sure of, you know, the Eastern time zone, what states are, are fall in there because it's just like, oh, if you're not in New York, then I don't really care, right? And, but if you if you zoom out and you think about it, you know, a lot of Americans, unfortunately, feel the same way. And I think we saw the ramifications of that, um, you know, prior, uh, previously um, with the previous administration and, and other things and other ideologies that are now starting to you know, fester um, amongst uh, uh, the, the, the nation. And so with that, um, there's this there's this feeling of animosity, this feeling of, um, you know, yeah, just hostility towards others. And, it, and it's, it's just a, it's such a shame because America really is a melting pot, right? It really is a melting pot, you know? Um, like I said, my parents are, are 
migrated from from originally from the Caribbean. You know, Scott, I know you're you're biracial. I know your mom is from Korea, right? And so it's a beautiful thing that we can we can come together, right, in this place, in this land that that is America. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to recognize that we're not exceptional to anyone else, you know. And so being in Southeast Asia, um, I really made it a point to to always connect with um, the people, with the uh, with the Thai nationals, and always humble myself and recognize my uh, my perceived and you know uh, ill you know ill conceived notion of being um, an American and what that means, and then also too the added layer of being African American. Right, that also too adds a whole different level to the experience of, of traveling abroad and being in Bangkok, because quite frankly, there are very few of us. There are very few of us in in Southeast Asia, um, and particularly in Thailand. You know, living there, not just traveling there, but living there, calling it your home for the time being, and so um, that really um, allowed me to to see the world in a different lens, um, in addition to my experiences that I had prior. Wow, that that's a very profound reflection right there, and I'm glad that you know just diving right into important issues like uh, American exceptionalism, and um, I think also um, there's there's a lot to say about what's happening inside of the United States, but you know within you know American citizens there, but I think there's also a lot to to be said about Americans living abroad and what what that like the responsibility one has almost as if you're an ambassador of that that culture and how people from a, a different culture perceive you. Um, and I think um, having this awareness, exactly how you put about, um, you know, basically deconstructing all of the national uh, nationalistic rhetoric that we've been taught in uh, schools, right? That the United States is exceptional, is um, the best country in the whole world. And I think, that can be very toxic when it comes to like basically putting down the rich, the richness of other cultures, and um, and yeah, and I, I just think that like you know from my own experiences like um, being in Brazil for me has been a wonderful experience because I'm on the outside, I'm the one trying to adapt and 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 fit in. So that's the humbling experience that you were sharing. And I think that's important for us Americans who have this high-headedness of we're the best, because you know, you if you flip this, this like if you were to switch places, right? You know, flip the scenario. What often happens? A lot of immigrants come to uh, the United States, and they're the ones really trying to like fit in and yeah. become more American. Um, or to gain certain certain ground, certain privileges. But then there's other nuances because of this melting pot of, of a country, the United States, that even when we think of um, marginalized groups or uh, minority groups as well, there's even more nuance to, again, not the inequality that exists and that um, that it's, it's, you know, thankfully becoming that much more explicit uh, in, in society with social media posts uh, and uh, more activism, I think, on the younger generations to really not put up with this, you know, um, and to really try to take more of a stand on that. So again, you know, I think my point being, um, there's this need to to address the American exceptionalism that we have 
And I think there's, it's, there's an interesting dynamic between, you know, this great education of traveling as an American to another country and basically realizing, oh, we're not the center of the universe, right? Um, and then, you know, having that responsibility in the way we talk about our culture or when someone asks me, what are your views about Donald Trump? I have a, I feel a certain moral responsibility to yeah. convey my honest opinions, but then also to like, to present the United States uh, in, a, in a fair, honest way. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I don't know if you felt that as well, interacting with people in Bangkok that maybe certain questions you might've felt put on the spot or they caught, they really shook you in some ways, but I feel like that's, that's something important that is often not talked about either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, you know, it's, it's true, you know, and, you know, you definitely feel that sense of obligation. Um, and because the whole world was watching and still continues to watch, you know, America to see what America does, you know, it definitely puts that sense of responsibility on us. As you mentioned, right. It's got global ambassadors as we talk about global citizenship and that, you know, how do you portray your country in a foreign land? How do you speak about your country in a foreign land? And, you know, when I'm working with students, you know, especially in the international school space, it's, it's vital that I recognize our differences, that I recognize the privileges, when I recognize our positionality in relation to one another. And so that always was at the forefront of my mind in the classroom because I didn't want to, I always, I won't say I didn't want to, but I always made it, I always was uh, mindful of how I was saying things, how what I was saying could be perceived uh, from someone else, right? Especially my students, right? I didn't want them to feel like, oh, you know, Mr. Monroe or Mr. Alex, you know, he said this in class and he's coming from this American point of view. And, you know, he, he thinks he's always right, blah, 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 blah. Because I saw it in other teachers, unfortunately. You know, I saw it in a lot of my colleagues who, who, who carry themselves in a way that they always felt they were right. They always felt like whatever they had to say was far superior to whatever, you know, um, a national, Thai national was saying, or someone who may be Filipina or someone who may be coming from, you know, Czechoslovakia, right? Just because they're from America or they're from Australia, or they're from the UK, right? And when I saw that, I was just so disgusted because there's so much, as you said, so much richness and so much uniqueness to everyone's experiences. And quite frankly, we're not the best, you know? Do we, yeah, we do things well, don't get me wrong, but we also do things, you know, that can be, that they need to be changed, changed rapidly. And, you know, we're, we're being exposed in that sense and everyone's seeing those flaws right now that America has, has hidden for so long. And I think that is um, a blessing in that we can, we can all come together and rewrite, you know, that narrative that we wish to see moving forward, which is, which is, which is so, so, so critical, you know, and hopefully we adopt this global citizenship, citizenship mindset. Yes, I definitely agree with you. And it seems that this, this awareness, this consciousness that, that you bring to your classes, that you bring to your interactions is something um, crucial in the way you educate. But then also, I think this brings us to the, the concept of global citizenship itself. Like, how, how uh, do you conceptualize this, you know, um, this idea and um, yeah. And also like, was there a particular moment maybe that you were first exposed to it? So maybe, maybe let me just invert those questions. 
uh, when was it the yeah. first time that you heard of global citizenship? And then could you can you explain a little bit more just what that term really means to you and how, how does it play out in these interactions? Yeah, so I think the first time that I really heard it was actually at my first school, which I worked at um, on the north side of Chicago. And the reason why that term global citizenship popped up was because they had a language program where students could, by the time they were in seventh grade, I believe, could travel to um, a nation which they which represented the language in which they were learning. So um, Spain was an option, China was an option, Italy was an option, and France was an option. And so they really you know, emphasized that. That was a big draw for a lot of parents to have their kids go to this particular school because they had this wonderful opportunity, like I said, to travel abroad um, in their you know year six or year seven uh, time at the school, and they emphasized global citizenship. And the school definitely portrayed that in the lower levels, you know, grade one and grade two, to get the kids ready, get this global mindset going. And so that was the first time that I really kind of thought about it and, and saw the importance of it. And then from there, actually, I was you know afforded the opportunity to get into the master's program, which you and I both were a part of at DePaul University. Uh, the master's uh, program of global citizenship. And it was from there that I really began to, you know, formulate or kind of see, you know, the, the pillars of what global citizenship really is. And um, for those who, you know, are listeners to the podcast, you may have heard this said before, but, you know, the founder of the program, Dasaki Ikeda, you know, his, his philosophy of global citizenship comes down to, you know, the wisdom, the courage, and the compassion. And it really does make a lot of sense when you think about that in the global citizenship context. And so I'll break it down a little bit. So when you think about the wisdom, right, you want to have the wisdom to see the interconnectedness of all life. And it's not just human to human, but it's really with us. It's with Mother Nature. It's with, you know, some of the smallest particles, maybe that we can't even see. But understanding that that relationship is critical to everyone's existence. And so recognizing that wisdom and having that wisdom, sorry, is very, very important. And then we move into the courage, right? Having the courage to seek out the other is, is again, vital, right? We're, we're experiencing that more and more, um, especially as we are connected through the medium of social media and the internet, you know, that takes courage in and of itself to connect with others through that medium, but even more so in person, right? And so when you sit down with someone, when you have a dialogue with someone who is not from, you know, the same country as you or from the same town as you or speaks the same language as you, having the courage to say, hey, you know what, I want to engage in conversation. I want to engage in dialogue with this person to find out what it is that I don't know. But at the same time, while you're having that conversation or while you're reflecting from that dialogue, you recognize that you have a shared existence and that you have so many parallels between one another. And I love that about us human beings is that we all cry the same. We all laugh the same. We all, you know, dance, you know, we don't dance the same, but, you know, more times than not, like whatever it is that you're dealing with, you know, you may be a struggle or there's triumph. It doesn't look any different per se from someone else in another country because they're from, you know, this part of, I don't know, the Middle East or Africa. No, right. Like it's all the same. And so, when you recognize that and keep that, you know, as the foundation, um, it makes uh, it makes connecting with others so enjoyable. And the last part is compassion, right? So 
having the compassion to um, relate to others. And there's this concept of imaginative empathy. And I've really explored this, this concept over the years. And I'm really um, intrigued by it because when you are able to tap into this imaginative empathy, what it allows you to do, it allows you to recognize um, where you are in a sense right now in your, in your currently in your position, but really to try to break through and seek out what it, to seek out how someone else may feel in a particular situation and kind of sit there for a moment and sit in that, in that space and just be present. And it's not to inject your feelings. It's not to, you know, cry along with someone or to, you know, say encouraging words. It's just to be a part of that space and to hopefully get to the point where you can feel, right? You can feel kind of what's happening in that space. And there are some really great writers and some really great artists who are doing wonderful things in regards to imaginative empathy. And there's a famous author, not author, artist, sorry, in LA who did a really nice um, exhibit that position um, guests of the exhibit, art exhibit to feel what it what it was like to be um, a, a migrant, a Mexican migrant crossing the border into the United States. And so it was this virtual reality experience. Um, and it, you know, from what the, the article read in the LA Times, you know, it really moved people to really enforce people to sit with that feeling, to really, you know, to walk through it and to, 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 to get everything out of that. And to walk away from that as like, wow, like if that's what it feels like, like I need to, I need to, you know, potentially, you know, reframe my thinking or dive deeper into this, into this conversation or research or, you know, really empathize with these people who are going through these struggles. And that's just one experience. So um, to tie it all back together again, you know, to have the wisdom and the courage and the compassion um, as a global citizen is is key, you know, really for um for us as the as 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 global citizens. Wow, thank you. I think you did an excellent job taking us through the three qualities of a global citizen that you know Ikeda talks about. And um, yeah, and I, I'm fascinated um, as well by the the, the term of uh, imaginative empathy. And I think your your explanation of it was just fantastic because it's it's somewhat difficult to pin it down. Right when it's meant right, to be fully explored and to really um, recognize um, the deep sense of presence that one has when trying to connect with, with another human being, that experience, sitting with that emotion or that, that feeling, um, not easy things to do um, on a personal level, yeah. but then also as like an educator, right? How yeah. does one bring that out um, or create environments for others to really experience that. Um, it, it's great, you know, you share that experience of, um, I mean, the, the artist in Los Angeles who used art to really construct kind of um, maybe a, an experience for, for others to walk through and really experience all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, as, well, before I ask you about that, um, I'm, I'm also really curious to, to ask you more about global citizenship and maybe the, the, the racial element of that, particularly in the United States, because sure. I feel that's something very important to discuss and also um, something that I'm sure you've thought about and something that I think moving forward, maybe if you decide to, to stay in the United States and, and teach there, that you will 
most definitely address in your classes. So, um, so yeah. So, what what is your take on on that kind of you know the racial element combined with global citizenship? How how would you convey that to students? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a really good point. And I think one of the things I actually wanted to do, and I'm trying to get better at it um, as I you know speak to others, is I think the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize the land in which we're we're speaking from. And so I want to just quickly divert and just quickly share. You know, I'm in Chicago, but this is the the native lands of the Kickapoo, Peoria, and the Okteki Sakowin. And those are the native land. These are the native lands of the you know indigenous people to America, and so you know that is important when we talk about the racial lens because you know you and I just before we said you know immigrants right, but we're all immigrants right, except for those First Nation and indigenous people whose lands you know unfortunately were taken from them, and so um, that racial element you know as it pertains to global citizenship is first recognizing where you are and recognizing again. Your uh, your uh, uh, relationship um, to your community and what that looks like, and so when we talk about racial equity, I think one of the interesting things is I've always been fascinated with the, was with the passport, and so how the passport is the great equalizer. And what I mean by that is that anytime I'm in abroad and I present my passport, I'm always seen as an American first, and that kind of gives me a sense and insight into the privilege that you know, a lot of white Americans walk around with every day um, in the United States. And, you know, as a person of color, unfortunately, you know, we're not seen in that same light. And so when we think about bringing racial harmony to the United States of America, I want everyone to have that sense of, you know, equality um, when they go places and, you know, they can really, you know, feel at home. And so when we talk about what, what needs to be done in the global citizenship space, I think it's really comes down to exposure. I think it really comes down to exposing our youth, exposing our students, again, to the different communities in which um, are, uh, you know, neighboring communities. And so if you think about, a, you know, let's say, let's take a white suburb, right? Let's take a white suburb and we'll have students there working there in that space, in that community, but not too far away, you know, two or three miles, and maybe you know, a community where it's predominantly black and brown youth, black and brown students, and we need to expose one another to those spaces and see that we can, again, find the commonalities and also to not impose ourselves um, upon one another in that what I'm trying to say is basically how we can work together for a common goal, right? We're not going to this community to tell them what to do. Or we're not going to this other community just to take and, you know, hopefully find our way into this space. No, we're working together in that, you know, this is a shared, this is a shared community. Hopefully we can break down some of those, you know, those, those, um, those barriers that have been, you know, placed intentionally um, so we can see that, hey, you know what, uh, we're in this together. And, you know, hopefully global citizen, the global citizenship mindset of that uh, one aspect of the courage you know, really we can use that to, to have those meaningful and deep conversations. And so, um, yeah, I think just exposing our kids to, like I said, to those spaces, getting them in, in, in different um, countries, having them having them read different texts, having them see different, you know, documentaries and different films, diversifying education is critical right now. And 
you know, if we're able to diversify education with the youth today, as so many of them are coming with um, multiple backgrounds, it really will um, enrich the educational experience and also to allow us to um, get to that to that, uh, that that racial harmony hopefully sooner rather than later. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I definitely agree. Exposure is something very important. Uh, and I think it part of it also comes with, you know, what we were discussing before about that awareness, right? The sens sensibilities that, that we have as, as educators to really, you know, um, connect with communities around us and to really value those engagements and you know, the interactions that come from it. And, you know, the United States is a really interesting place because of that melting pot aspect. But I think, you know, we, we, we focus so much on the, the, you know, immigrants coming in um, when, you know, the discussions of indigenous lands who, who came before uh, are, are silenced. And, and, and this is something that I think only serves the purposes of global citizenship, right, to really recognize our interconnectedness and also trying to like learn from from one another, and um, and that's the big <laughs> that's the big uh, struggle in education now. I think to to reconcile with all of these differences, and, and so definitely what you mentioned about imaginative empathy is something many more people should really grapple with because um, we're not talking about just sympathy for another person, right? No. Kind of like oh, you know you guys had it bad it's, it's almost somewhat condescending right because you're on separate islands as you're yeah. making that that comment but to really be uh with that other person to really put yourself in that circumstance and be humbled by it right yeah. because for as much as one can be empathetic um there's no way of really understanding 100 percent what what went through that person's mind, what emotions that transpired. And um, so, yeah, all of those things about the U.S. with, you know, Im immigrants from all over the place, uh, indigenous peoples, um, uh, the, the, the great and historic and traumatic racial divides between white and black. Um, I think all of these serve, um, they, they have these opportunities to recognize how um, the global component is very much rooted in the local, right? Um, and it's all fascinating, I think, to kind of lean into that complexity rather than simplify us and be like, oh, it's, it's, it's you know, to, to, to kind of label people and just leave yeah. it at that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like what you said there with the... the the, the local, you know, and that's also too, you know, was a big part of our, our master's, you know, um, course was, or degree was um, recognizing the importance of the microcosm representing the macrocosm, right? And so when I was in Bangkok, um, especially in my first school, I made it a point to see what is, what can we do in our, in our, our community, right? What can we do in our local surroundings that will that will be able to make an impact, a positive impact, create value, right? Um, that will have ripple effects and in, in reach, you know, the broader parts of Bangkok, the broader parts of Thailand, hopefully Southeast Asia. And so we were able to do that. You know, we formed a relationship 
with UNESCO. Um, that was wonderful. It was the first time ever for that school. We were doing, you know, um, you know, pioneering, you know, things as far as the, the initiatives we took on and the students were really able to see how, you know, we can transform the here and the now. And that will then be able to, again, um, carry, carry through and, you know, have, again, have, 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 have effects, you know, elsewhere. Other kids throughout the world and other parts of, you know, South America or, you know, in, in other parts of Europe will see what we're doing here and they may gain value from that. They may say, hey, let's, let's call this, these group of students and, and, and reach out to them. Let's form a connection with them, right? And so from there, you know, friendships develop, connections develop, so forth and so forth. So you're right. It really does start with focusing on our community. And that also too lessens the burden that we, a lot of us carry, unfortunately, you know, being millennials, we feel the weight of all the problems because it's all in our face. Every single day when we open up our phones, it's climate change, it's racism, it's political turmoil, it's fascism, it's this, this, this. And we're just like, wow, I haven't even had my coffee yet, you know? And so when we think about it that way, it's like, all right, you know what? Let me back up. Let me focus on my community and let me win in my community first and win in my community and know that that will reach to the far, to the farther ends of the coasts or the other parts of, of the world. And so that, that's an important uh, thing to keep in mind. And I think what you said about winning in the community directly links to this sense of empowerment because when we see this onslaught of news and it's oftentimes very negative, it's so easy to be disempowered or to become apathetic to all that's happening, like everything that's going on in the world. And, um, and and what you shared about your work with your students in, in Thailand, it, it sounds that, you know, your emphasis was to really have them be active agents of change in yeah. the local community. Right. And I feel that this, this, this critical look towards empowering youth to giving yeah. them opportunities, this is something that's severely lacking or is not given enough attention, not just in Thailand, but in Brazil, in the United States, I imagine in many other countries. Yeah. And, um, and, it, and it, but what's very positive, I think, amidst all of this is um, that youth initiatives, like what you, you do in, uh, what, what you did in, in Thailand, but also like on a larger scale, like I think of like uh, Greta Thunberg, right? And the, you know, um, the, the movement for climate change that was sprung from her, her actions and how like young people, very young people, like elementary school kids were getting yeah. involved, right? It wasn't it Fridays for Future right. that this, this, this caught on all, all across the nation and even to Brazil, right? Our yeah. students were doing Fridays for Future as well. And, um, and I find that, you know, we also, I think for global citizenship, not only taking action in the local environment, but we also have to, we have to look for these, these, um, these sparks of hope, right? Yeah. And, you know, capitalize on it. Not like, I mean, capitalize is kind of a harsh word for it, but to really, <laughs> to really jump at these opportunities of with course. lots of enthusiasm and eagerness. And um, yeah, so we're, we're slowly coming up on our time. I know sure. it goes by really quickly. Uh, it's been such an amazing conversation. I wanted to just ask you, um, 
you know, are there any, um, is there anything else, like any important consideration about global citizenship that you'd like to share? Um, or if not a comment about it, maybe any advice to people who are striving to become global citizens? What would you say? Yeah, I would, you know, that's a great question. I think for me, the first place I always start is, is with a book. I'm a huge advocate for reading. Um, and when I say reading, I mean reading books. You know, I know many of us, you know, we have our Kindles and things like that, which is great, right? I'm not, you know, discouraging the Kindles, but, you know, what I am kind of discouraging is just getting our, our news from social media, right? Anytime someone says, hey, I said this, I saw this on Facebook, it's kind of like, ah, I don't know about that. But um, anyway, going back to my point of, you know, reading is important and reading allows you to travel the world. I can't tell you how many times I've opened up a book and read a story and it's just taking me to that place. And it's basically active in my empathy, right? Because I'm I'm with I'm there with the character, I'm there with the author, I'm there, you know, in this space. And so from you know, from that book or from that scene, I immediately go to my computer and I start researching all of this stuff about this place. And it's not to say that um, oh, I can just check this place off now that I've read it about it in a book. It's to say, no, like I'm expanding my awareness, right, of what else is out there, of what I'm missing, or perhaps whose voices aren't being heard, right? Um, so I think the, the, the first place to start is really reading, reading a book and reading something perhaps outside of your comfort zone. Actually, I would encourage many people to read something outside of your comfort zone that forces you, right? Again, going back to the foundation of global citizenship that inactivates that courage aspect to say, hey, you know what? This is something I don't know, I'm not familiar with, but let me go ahead and dive in and see what I can see what I can find and perhaps walk away with a newfound love of a culture or, you know, um, a new place that you're really eager to, to, to visit. And so I think that's that's definitely um, my piece of advice. That is excellent advice. I'm also a big fan and advocate of reading books. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there like a recent book that you read that you, you know, recommend to others? Or is there a book maybe that, you know, you find very valuable, uh, maybe related to global citizenship that you're like, oh, I've read this many times and I recommend this book? Wow. Um, I am, yeah, on my Instagram, I'm always posting books that are um, my favorites. I'm reading, currently reading. Let me see. If I had to say right now, the one that I probably couldn't put down was Pachinko. Pachinko. It is by, let me see here, one second. It is by Lee Minjin, uh, Minji Lee, sorry. Yeah, Minji Lee. She is uh, Asian American from, um, uh, her family's originally from South Korea. And so she wrote a beautiful, beautiful story, fictional story um, about a family and covering four generations. Um, in, in South Korea and also too in parts of Japan. And so that for me took me there. I was there completely with that author and, and with those characters. And um, like I said, I couldn't put it down. So again, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee is the type, is the, uh, is the author. So check it out. Wow, thank you so much. I have not heard of this book, Pachinko, but I have just Google searched it and I, I intend to read it. Um, yeah. any, any book recommendation by Alex is 
is often you know I, I trust your 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 taste. I and, appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, and you know, those of you listening, check it out. <laughs> but yeah, um, th that's that's uh, the last question that I wanted to ask you. Um, it's been a really wonderful you know past forty minutes or so. And I really feel like we covered a lot and got to learn more about your your thoughts on global citizenship, your own background. I feel like just, you know, your experiences really exemplifies that of the global citizen. But what's beautiful about global citizenship is, is that it's so aspirational, right? And so it's something that, you know, we're always in the process of. And it definitely seems that, you know, with your interests in, um, uh, imaginative empathy, your interest in the, um, you know, the the, circum the the racial tensions that are present in the United States, uh, you bring all of that as a kind of, um, you know, you're exploring these these realms and it's something that I'm sure, you know, you'll, you'll come to new insights and, you know, in, in the next job that you find, I'm sure it's going to be a, a, a wonderful fit for you and it's, they'll be very lucky to have you there as an educator. And, uh, you know, of course, we'll be in touch. I, I'd love to, you know, hear uh, about the next step. And, um, and thank you once again for, for being on the podcast, sharing your story and all of this. So thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Love the work that you're doing. Keep it up. I really had a wonderful time chatting with Alex about his background and also his views on global citizenship. I find that there's so much that we're exploring and really trying to put into practice, uh, whether that be within our, our classrooms or just within our own lives. And I think it's very clear that uh, Alex is bringing a lot into um, his own educational practice. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting to see that uh, educators like Alex are out there and really making a big difference in terms of uh, empowering youth and really bringing out that, that full potential um, and channeling really that energy towards the many different issues that we see in society. And so I just wanted to finish by really thanking Alex for taking the time to be on the podcast and I'm looking forward to the next interview with uh, another graduate from the VCE program so stay tuned and uh, catch you on the next episode mm -hmm.